And the beautiful thing is once you understand how powerful stories are, and then once you also understand that you're a storyteller, then you can go, oh, I guess I have everything I need. On this week's episode of You Are a Storyteller, Brian McDonald and Jesse Bryan talk about why being a storyteller matters. Once you realize that you're a storyteller, because everyone is a storyteller, you can use the power of storytelling to affect positive change in the world. So I feel like today, really what we're going to do is almost taking a step back. Okay. Right? And talking about why we wanted to do this in the first place. It's funny because we were talking about it today, and it was the first time we kind of went like, oh, people don't even know what our armature is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? And so I think we're kind of going back to like the purpose of the show. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if people have hung in this far, right, um, they're trying to figure out like they're learning from you like, oh, here's how to construct a story. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think today we're going to talk more about like why is it worth constructing a story? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, on this week's episode of You're a Storyteller. Now, uh, you want to talk about the name, how we came up with the name? Do you I remember? I remember. Do you remember? We were just talking. Yeah, I don't In remember. your office. And we were like, what should we call it? Uh, yeah. And we were like, well, if we're going to teach people armature, we should probably figure out the armature of the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? And uh, I think as we talked about it, it was like, okay, well, what are we trying to say? And that's where it was like, you're a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is- I, I think it was your title. I, don't think I, I think we were just talking about armature. It's like, well, I yeah. think the armature is just you're a storyteller. Yeah. Um, and then the funny thing is, I think we like Googled it or something and we're like, oh, the URL is available and people right. are doing it. Cause yeah. it feels so simple. Mm-hmm. You're a storyteller. Um, and we wanted it to be simple and we wanted the title to be the armature again, just like for the sake of clarity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for us, at least for me, I'll tell you, speak for me and you can say whatever you want. Uh, for me, it's important because once people actually understand their storytellers, then they can start to tap into something really powerful, right? Yes. Um, but until you believe that about yourself, really believe that you're a storyteller, you're dead in the water. It's right. so one of the first things you taught me even in class mm-hmm. was once you started showing even like stories in real life. And again, if you want to hear more about this, you can go back to some of our early episodes. You started going like, oh, I am already a story. It's already, I'm already naturally can do it. Right. You, can you unpack that a little bit? Like, Well, I think that... Um, and I probably talked about this. I say this every show. I've probably yeah. talked about this. Mm-hmm. But um, people think of storytelling as writing, and writing is storytelling. And they, 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 they can go together, and they don't have to go together. Hmm. Right? So you can write all kinds of things that aren't stories, instruction manuals. or Right, right, yeah, right. Sure. And you can have a story without having writing. Human beings did that for a long time. Right. And there were societies that didn't develop written language for a long time, but they had stories. It seems to be uh, innately human. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's only human, but nobody's proven otherwise yet. Yeah. But I don't think it's only human. I think probably whales and uh, I think crows. And I think there are some other animals that use stories to some degree. I don't know to what degree, but yeah. I think to some degree. Uh, there's some evidence, I think, that supports that. But um, so I so I think because we think of it as writing, some of us think we can do it and some of us think we can't. Right. Right. And if you're not a wordsmith or you're a bad speller or something like that, then you think you don't have the ability. Yeah. Right. Whereas people who don't have the ability but can spell anything. (laughs) Uh Right. Think they're writers. Yeah. Uh, Or know where the commas go or whatever. They think they're writers or they think they're storytellers because they can. 
they they understand the nuts and bolts side as far as like how that stuff works. Right. Um, but those rules are largely arbitrary, and some of the rules are left over from Latin, and you know it doesn't. It does, but but telling a story in a natural way um, is innate, and everybody can do it. Everybody does do it. Uh, it's just that we don't recognize that we do it, mm-hmm. and so we think when we sit down to write a story that we have to do something different than we normally do. Yeah, it'd be like we're going to teach you how to breathe. Yeah, and you're like you know you've been breathing your whole life otherwise you wouldn't be here (laughs) right and you're like really yeah you've been breathing yeah go look in the mirror what are you doing oh i am breathing right but breathing is one of those things unless you're not breathing (laughs) that you don't think about very much right yeah right unless you're having a hard time breathing or something like that so you don't think about it very much you go through most of your day probably not thinking about it very much yeah storytelling is the same thing tell stories all the time if you're having a conversation pretty quickly you're going to be telling stories and the, we use a bunch of examples in the other episode where you talk about, and you do it in three acts, just naturally. Yeah. Proposal, argument, conclusion, right? And and so we want people to first see that because if they first see that, like, you're already a storyteller, mm-hmm. then the beautiful thing is you can go, oh, I can get better. Right. Right? Like, um, the first step to getting better at anything is first believing you can right. get better at it. Yeah. Right? And so I think that, like, um, I also think a second ago you were talking about because it's not the written part. It's almost like if people aren't good writers. And I think what most people would think that means is like spelling, grammar, that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Have you actually talked about like trying to figure out how to get into like I think it would be helpful for you to talk. Was writing always easy for you? No. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's also a nice thing to consider for people that maybe are, are going, well, I can't do what Brian does or whatever, right? Oh, right. Uh, well, there's an interesting thing about dyslexics because, um, well, dyslexia makes writing difficult, right? Um, dyslexics tend not to have very good handwriting. Um, I don't. I have horrible handwriting. Uh, not good spellers. Not good at figuring out grammar rules and things yeah. like that um and so there and there whatever yeah all those yeah <laughs> yeah yeah where where and where two mm-hmm. two and two they, you know it's like why are all these words why do we yeah, even do this doesn't make you know? any sense yeah so uh that can be really hard for dyslexics so writing was always something i didn't think i could do um but i did understand that i was a storyteller somehow hmm. and i was always very interested in stories um, you tried to get into a creative writing class, right? In high school, yeah. Uh, and they wouldn't let me in. They would not let me in. So I've never taken a writing so class at all. It's like that Jordan story, right? Where it's like, yeah, you didn't get you a basketball team. It's like, yeah, Brian, you didn't get in a creative writing class? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, right? they wouldn't let me in. Why? What did they tell you? Oh, well, that's another uh, kettle of fish. Because that was... Um, it's just with all the writing you've done. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Well... Uh, that was because I was going to a high school. Um, uh, I was bused to a high school where there weren't a lot of black students. Huh. And uh, a lot of the teachers and administration were not very friendly towards people who look like me. And so uh, that teacher, I begged him to let me take this class. It was an elective. And he wouldn't let me take it. And finally he said, well, you know, he saw on my schedule that I didn't have a gym class. And he goes, well, you should maybe take gym. You can play basketball. So, no way. Yeah. So, and if you'd ever seen me play basketball, you'd know just how ridiculous <laughs> of a no statement way. that was. No way. He yeah. said play basketball. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. So, anyway. So, uh, 
that's <laughs> so most people i'm saying on paper wouldn't think you'd be destined to be a writer no dyslexic no. couldn't get in a writing class yeah right yeah um but you still understood you had an innate like almost a sense for story mm-hmm. yeah which so, means they have to be different right they are different the, and here's what's it's almost interesting. like the the tactical the tangible like the physical process of writing versus story right well, it's interesting because uh, they, what they're finding when they study dyslexia is that dyslexics seem to have uh, narrative strengths. Huh. That it's actually one of the traits of dyslexia that they have narrative strengths. So, um, you know, there's a ton of dyslexic writers. I may have mentioned them before, but uh, Agatha Christie was dyslexic. Um, uh, St- Stephen J. Cannell, you know Stephen J. Cannell? Mm-hmm. No. He, like, he in the 70s and, and really in the 80s, he sort of, own tv so if it was a tv show it he was had his. something to do with it yeah yeah a lot of them a lot of the big shows so like the a-team he created oh crazy um he created um oh, i can't even think of all the shows so many shows the rockford files really yeah yeah oh crazy yeah like a lot of big shows yeah um i mean when he sold his company and this was this is when a billion dollars was a billion dollars and yeah. he sold uh-huh. his company for a billion dollars um and then wrote novels Wow. Yeah, and he had a secretary uh, who um, um, she knew what he meant when he wrote things down, so he would write all day, and then she would retype it and no correct it. Way. Yeah, yeah. But he was wow. um, severely dyslexic. In fact, if you look, if you look at his website, he's he's dead now. But he he made a bunch of videos. Uh, Stephen J. Cannell made a lot of uh, made some videos about dyslexia and about his dyslexia. Really? Yeah, that you can watch. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so he knew story. Yeah. But obviously somebody had to help him with the, yeah. the writing part. Yeah. But he wrote novels and, you know. Sounds like he did pretty good. He did okay for himself. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, yeah. so it doesn't seem to be, we have to disconnect this idea of the writing and storytelling because yeah. there are plenty of writers who are dyslexic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and plenty and if you're of, a good storyteller, you can find somebody to write it for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or to help you. Right. Or to help you. Yeah. There's or you'll figure it out. Yeah, programs, you'll figure it out. The hard part is. The storyteller part, right? right? Yeah, the content. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's much harder. But most of us know how to do that. And I was telling you about my cousin, mm-hmm. right? So I have an older cousin who's like an uncle, uh, two of them, and, and, and uh, one of the brothers died. Yeah. So uh, Richard, the older one, uh, passed away uh, a few months ago. And his brother Lawrence came out. And he was telling – we were sitting at the funeral home the family and he was telling a story about Richard and he was saying you know Richard always had your back even if you didn't feel like it Richard was known to be the kind of guy who was all about his stuff and um, you didn't mess with his stuff and he was not a touchy-feely kind of a person and uh, Lawrence said when they were in well Lawrence was in high school I think Richard had graduated Lawrence was in high school And he said, you know, my brother had this car and he had worked very hard for this car. He was very happy to have this car and nobody could touch his car. Mm -hmm. And and he said, um, Lawrence said, I was looking for a way to go to the prom. And I had my date and I had my suit and everything. And I had no way to get to the prom. And I was able to convince somebody to drive me to the prom. He said, my brother Richard showed up that night of the prom and handed me the car keys. He didn't say, be careful with my car, be back at such and such a time. He he just handed him the car keys. 
And and he said he he always had your back, even if you didn't know it. That's exactly that's perfect story structure. Mm-hmm. My my cousin doesn't know anything about story structure, yeah. right? But he had a point to make. He was saying, Richard had your back even when you didn't know it. Yeah, right. And then he dramatized. And it. he dramatized it. He proved it. He proved it. And then he told you what he told you, right? Yeah. He concluded, right? That's also the, w- the context. Yeah, he, he knew that's what the people in the room needed to hear. Yes, that was a service. Yeah, to a bunch of people that were mourning. Right, it was a service. It it gave you a, a and for him that encapsulated who his brother was. Hmm. My brother was the kind of guy who would do this for you. Yeah, right. Um, and so people naturally know how to do this. People do it every day. You just have to understand that you're doing it. Yeah. It's not different when you do it on paper or on a computer. It's the right. same process. And the rules are not rules. They're observations. Some people get really hung up on the rule part. Why do I have to do it that way? Right? But Lawrence telling the story about Richard knew that, well, you have to know who Richard was, how he was perceived in order for this to make sense. You have to know how he felt about his car. You have to know how he was about his stuff. Yeah. Right? These are all things that you, all the things you have to lay down, all the pipe you have to lay so that yep. when the keys get handed over, you have a response. Yep. Right? It's the same thing you do when you're writing a story. It's not different. You'll also notice there was no twist ending. No. You didn't need one. No, why would you have a twist ending? Like, because when you tell the story, it's like, hands of the keys, and everybody goes, right? You did. Yeah. It's like, and he walked up, he held the keys, he put them back in his pocket, and he walked across the street. We'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Why are you telling the story at a funeral? That's yeah. awful. <laughs> right? But also, I think it's an example of medicine instead of poison. Yeah. You have a bunch of people mourning. Mm-hmm. And you tell that story and people go like, that's right. He did have our back even. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sure other people probably thought of ways that he did that for them too. Oh, I'm sure that they did. It's a, it's a really wonderful thing. It's like magic. It is. Right? And then people walk away from Richard's funeral and they remember like all the good things about him. Right? Which gives you a chance for closure. All these different things. Yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's like air. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that once people realize that, Right? Both of us are dyslexic, mm-hmm. right? People probably aren't going to like this, but I tell my oldest son, who I think is dyslexic, um, he struggles with school, and I, I'll sit him down, and I'll be like, just so you know, man, school's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he be like, well, what do you mean, Dad? And I was like, you just got to do your best, man. Just try to make it through it. We just got to find something you love. Mm-hmm. But don't, you know, if they try to make you feel dumb, if you're not getting it, I'm like, it's all bullshit. None of it's going to matter later on, right? Yeah. Because I wish somebody would have told me that when yeah. I was just like banging my head up against the wall. Um, and if there's people out there that desperately want to be world-class storytellers, but they're going, I don't know if I am a storyteller, or man, I'm not good at grammar. It's like, that's okay. That's all bullshit. Yeah. That's not what matters. It do- the it is, content it is, is what matters. Yeah. Can you tell that story at the funeral? Right? Yeah. If you can, you're a storyteller. Yeah. Right? And I think this is important because... We started kind of talking about this the other day when uh, you and Callie were speaking at Creative Light. Was it Creative? Creative Mornings. Creative Mornings. And we're watching all these really awesome uh, creative folks in our community. And they were sitting there and it was kind of like the idea was like, well, what can we give people? Right. Because I think if and I'm sure every generation says it feels like things are messed up right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess I'm just like everyone else. It feels like the world's messed up right now. Right. And I think it's really easy to fall into despair. And I think that our shows reflect that. Mm -hmm. We don't need to say the name, 
of the show you were just telling me about. Yeah. But will you talk about your critique of the show you just watched last night? Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, in some ways I feel like a dinosaur, right? Because um, people are like, this is the golden age of TV and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not on that train. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. believe that. First of all, have you seen Patterns? Have you seen, have you watched one episode of MASH? Like, uh-huh. you're saying this without actually any context, yeah. most people, right? So it's like, well, it's the best thing you've seen. It's not the best thing I've seen, you yeah. know? Uh, and so that's another thing. But. There is this thing, I feel like there's one show, right? And so it, 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 even if I were to name this show, it's not really a critique of this show necessarily. It's a critique of all these shows being one show, which is this show is dark, it is bleak, it is um, overt in every way that something can be overt. Um, it seems to have nothing to say, and it is cynical. And mm-hmm. that seems to be television yeah. or whatever you call it now streaming television it seems yeah. to be like there's very little hope there's very little light there's very li- like i don't i don't want to be depressed right now yeah. do i have to does everything i watch yeah. have to be this it's not more real to be depressed yeah right but it's treated that way it's sophisticated because yeah. it's cynical and because it's dark yeah it must be smart it must, whatever that yeah means. whatever that means and so um and i feel like they're not getting at a truth they're not telling me anything yeah. You know, and so there's nothing to convey except a person's worldview about how bleak the world is. I yes. Guess. Um, and it, it, it's yeah. I'm just getting tired of that show. No shit. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Like we were when we were talking about it just a minute ago, when we were having coffee or whatever. Like I was saying that reminds me of Network and Patty Chayefsky. There's that scene where she's getting pitched all the TV shows and they're all the exact same show. Right. They're all like, whatever, the grumpy boss and whatever. And they just had different settings. One's in a whatever newsroom. One's in an auto shop. Whatever. And it was like all the scripts in a row were the same thing. And Patty Chayefsky was talking about that. When would that come out? When, when would that have been? 75, I think. That okay, 75. So in 75, he's like, this is becoming a problem. Yeah. Right? And so when you said that, it was like, yeah, on top of everything else you see when you open up your door and walk outside right now. Then you go home and you turn on something. You're hoping for something, something true. Yeah. Right. Um, like I told you, I've been watching a bunch of Columbo's because I was like, people be like, oh, you got to check out this new show or whatever. I was like, I don't have the energy. For, like, I got I'm going to just, I know that this will be good. Like, right. whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, people probably say the same thing. It's like a Columbo. It's like, you Columbo. should watch. It's you can really, watch Columbo. Really yeah. 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 But like, um, it, it just feels like in this world right now, I, I think one of the things that people... I think there's people in power that would love for you to feel like there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really easy to be cynical. Yeah. Um, I know that's something that I have to f- be conscious of and fight myself, right? Like, right. it's really easy to look around the world and be like, well, the world's screwed, so I'm going to just, you know, shut the door and, you know, binge watch TV and just assume right. there's nothing I can do. Right. But that's also exactly what they want you to do. Right. Right? Is to not do anything. Right. And... Once you understand, and we talked about the power of stories a couple weeks ago, um, and we talked about really like tangible evidence of the power of stories. We talked about uh, birth of a nation, Mm -hmm. right? Within whatever it was, six years, three million um, folks in the KKK directly because of that film. We talk about how media works. We talk about the power of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think the trick is, is once you understand how powerful stories are, 
one of the things we've been saying around here is like once you understand that like um, stories are a force of nature, just like gravity, mm-hmm. and how whether or not you're conscious of it, gravity affects every part of your life, right? Yeah. If gravity stopped, you'd know it. Right. You're just so used to gravity. You don't know that it is interacting with everything, the makeup of how we exist. Right. Once you understand that just like gravity, stories are a force of nature, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you want to change something, right? If you want to affect someone emotionally, right? Yeah. Um, if you want to move things forward, right? Tell better stories. And the beautiful thing is once you understand how powerful stories are, and then once you also understand that you're a storyteller, then you can go, oh, I guess I have everything I need. I have everything I need to actually do something about the things in this world that bother me. Right. I don't have to be cynical. I don't have to pretend like there's nothing I can do. You can make something. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I well, guess there's something you can do about it. Right. Right? Well, I think that, you know, we used to understand the power of storytellers in a way that we've forgotten, right? So... Um, I was talking to you about tribal people, right? And there were people, like, for instance, in in West Africa, the idea was that uh, the storytellers were uh, called griots. And yeah. the griot, a couple things about the griots that are really fascinating. One is that if you were warring with a tribe, another tribe, and their griot wandered by, you were not supposed to mess with those people. You had to leave the griots alone. And the reason was, if, if you heard a griot, and they make it back. They tell a story <laughs> that makes their side more powerful. Yeah. So you yeah. leave those people alone. You don't mess with storytelling. You don't mess with the storytelling. Yeah. 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 So it's pretty. It's, they used to understand that about storytelling. Yeah. Like it's the most powerful thing. Like no, don't mess with those guys. Hmm. Um, and they would also bury them in a tree. They would bury them in a tree. They have these big trees in Africa that they would bury these inside the tree. And uh, these griots, because they said that the wisdom of the story, the wisdom of the storyteller is is like a tree. It goes that deep and it's that old and it's that it's like that powerful. It's like a tree. So they, yeah, it's that powerful. Yeah. And also burying them in the ground is to bury your history. Oh, man. Yeah. I love that stuff. Talk about the depth. Right. Yeah. But at least they understood the power of story. Yeah. Right. It feels like something we've lost. Mm-hmm. Right now. It's like it's all just. Well, what's powerful about a story? Oh, maybe you can sell a script. Yeah. Okay. That no, that's great. You need to make money and survive. But like, then what? Well, it's right. it's it's not about telling stories. It's about making money. Right. Right. Instead of going, hey, you know what makes money? Telling good stories. It's <laughs> how do we make money? Oh, I know. If we use these elements, right? Right. These we have these stars. This many special effect shots. This many stunts. Yeah. You know, it's like these calculations, but never, hey, why don't we tell the truth in a story and give people the survival information about how to live in the world? Yeah, give them something. Yeah. Like Rod Serling did pretty good for himself. He did. He didn't go hungry. No, he did not. But look at his legacy. Still, you know why his legacy is like that? It's because he said it was something worth saying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And again, we're not, I don't think either of us are saying like, oh, you shouldn't be able to do well. No. Or any of that. It's just like, you know, you can do both, right? Yeah. You can hold two ideas in your head. And the reason why your work is going to be really great is because you're actually saying something that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be parts of what you said that's super dark. It might even be violent. It's oh, yeah. Whatever. I don't think either of us are also saying that it has like, to be. Make sure you hear what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. This is not a, uh, a, a moral thing. No. Um, as far as like, you know, we're against violence. It's just you keep giving people cotton candy. 
Right. It used to be a griot had a job. Right. Right. Helping the people in his community or her community, whatever. Yeah. Right. Understand the context and keep them going. And when people got stuck, they helped them get through it. And right. they did it with stories. Right. We're still the same. Right. We still have the same need. It's just this from a storyteller standpoint, like you said, everything's so dark and depressing and cynical. You're not giving something to somebody who's down in a hole to help them get out. Right. Yeah. And and my hope with this and the reason why that's the armature of this show is because I hope that people can start to see the power of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then start to see that they can do it now. You got to practice, right? It's like anything else. The funny thing about story structure is it's the simplest thing to understand. It's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Right. But at least you know if there, whatever it is, if you just sat there for a second, if you're in your car, at work, whatever you're listening to this, and you go like, "What bothers you?" Mm -hmm. Right. What bothers you? Maybe it's climate stuff. Maybe it's whatever. Whatever it is that bother you, just understand this. If you want to do something about it, tell a better story than the other person. Yeah. So the person that's in power right now that's doing whatever it is you're upset about. It might be hunger. It might be civil rights. It might be anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know how you beat them? You tell a better story. Yeah. Right? That's the only chance you have. The beautiful thing about that is it levels the playing field. Right? Yeah. And it gives you something to hope for. And it gives you something tangible you can do. Mm -hmm. You can figure out how to be a better and better storyteller every day. And, and you just keep telling stories about that thing you're really passionate about. That true story. Right? Yeah. Um, and we should unpack what we mean by true story in a minute. Right. Sure. Right. And that is ultimately how you affect change. Yeah. Right. You want to beat them? Great. Tell a better story. Mm -hmm. Whoever tells the best story wins. That's how it works. That is how it right? works. And if you look at politics or anything else, you want to know who's going to win? Whoever tells the best story. Yeah. Which means if you understand story better than the next person, you have a better shot at actually getting through to the folks that need to hear that message. Mm -hmm. So you can actually mobilize people and change the state of the world right now. Now, if I go to, do you have anything to say about that before we talk about truth? No, 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 no. When we talk about truth, can you understand when, like, again, I also don't want people, you know, it's tricky when we talk like this because I don't want people to go like, oh, you guys are against all this stuff. It's like, no, no, no. When we say true stories, we don't mean it happened. No. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, like what may, like I just read your script. Right. And, you know, I sent you videos like we, you know, choked up and cried it was like it's like i think it's i think you're the the new stuff you wrote is like is crazy good right it never happened though it's not true right it's also true 100 true and that's why we cried right, right. you know what i'm saying yeah so can you talk about what we mean by truth uh tr well true yeah it, it means a couple of different things mm -hmm. um so uh it can be emotionally true Right. So it can be this is how um, this is how it feels to be under the power of some evil authority. Right. Now, that evil authority can look like um, the emperor in Star Wars. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or it can look like a, a boss at a crappy job. Right. 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 The, the, the yeah. truth of how power operates is going to be the same. Right. Right. And that's why something that looks like a science fiction film or looks like a fantasy story or whatever. Zootopia, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Can have real resonance. Yep. Because there's truth in there. Yeah. About how human beings behave. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's that kind of uh, of truth. Um, 
So there's the emotional truth that'll always be, um, and if it's not emotionally true, there's a kind of disconnect that happens where you like, I see it a lot where people, they aren't caught up in something they're watching. They just sort of understand intellectually like, oh, that, that would be sad, hmm. I guess. You know, I yeah. see it when I go to the movies. I see people not responding. Yeah. Um, because they they maybe they think they they are because it's been a generation now. Where mostly you don't respond. Right. It's just hmm. it's just flashy colors and stuff for a couple of hours. We uh, talk about that for a second. Well, yeah, you don't respond. Well, I, I remember going to movies where people were moved. I remember going to movies where people were, um, where they would cry, where they would laugh and it wasn't a cheap laugh. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was a laugh of record. Oh, that's so true. Kind of laugh. I yeah. remember those kinds of reactions and I see fewer of those because that's creatively risky. Yeah. Right. So it's easy to, um, have something hit a person in the crotch. Right. Right. Ah, that'll get you a laugh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why it still does, but it does. Yeah, and so uh, that's not the same as telling a truth. Right. Right. Um, and so we you go, can be funny and do that, right? We talked yeah. about city slickers. We've talked about yeah. parenthood. We've talked about yeah, like, right. You can be funny and, and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, In fact, there's nothing funnier than the truth. There's nothing right? funnier than the mm-hmm. truth, right? So I don't see that. Um, and so I just see, I don't see, um, real engagement. I mean, I, I learned, one of the ways I learned this was by watching audiences when I was a kid. I'd go to the movies and I'd watch the movie and then I'd sit through and watch the audience and see how they responded. And I don't see the same kind of responses that I used to see. I just yeah. don't. And not everybody was paying attention that way, but I was paying specific attention to that. Yeah. And I don't see the same responses. I see Hollywood throwing a lot of bells and whistles at you and a lot of flashy colors and a lot of special effects and a lot of things so you think you're being entertained but it seems to disappear uh those things don't enter people's lives the way stories used to yeah you know um i remember when rocky came out rocky hell yeah yeah, yeah. rocky hasn't gone away no, you know, I told you I was rock, rock, watching Rocky Two a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I was wrecked by that damn movie. Right, <laughs> right. When she wakes up, and I know everything, and she's like, "When?" I was like, "Hell yeah, this mm-hmm. is a right." You know what I'm saying? I was mm-hmm. like, "Here we go." But he didn't mind being sentimental. No, right. People are scared of that. And Capra now. didn't mind being sentimental. And right. Billy Wilder didn't mind being sentimental. Yeah. I don't even think I would call it sentimental. I would just call it good storytelling. Yeah. Right. So yeah, talk to me at ET. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then there's the other kind of truth with this sort of a social truth, right? Mm. So, um, for instance, uh, like I was explaining to somebody that uh, historians will think of truth differently than storytellers. So, according to historians, Marie Antoinette never said, let them eat cake. Yeah. She never said that. Mm -hmm. So, for historians, that's a lie. Yeah. But she lived her life in such a way to say, let them eat cake. Yeah. Right? It's right. completely true. Yeah. She did say it. She said it in everything that she did. And yeah. that's a kind of truth, too. Right? So that you can... So if you're saying, oh, this is, again, how power operates. Jeez. Right? How power operates, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then that can be true. Yeah. Right? Um, or this is how... Uh, 1984 has a lot of that 
this is how people oppress you. These are the right. kinds of things they'll do. This is what they'll do with the language. This is yeah. what they, and you see it. Yeah. You can see it. Um, and so, uh, and it is completely true. Yeah. It is 100% true. It's not, it's, it's um, just because it's made up. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean it isn't true. Yeah. Just because it's a talking fish doesn't mean what they're saying isn't true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it's, so it's not, it's not, I don't even know if I call it a lie. Some people think of it as a lie, that a story mm. is a lie, right? And I've heard that before. The storytellers are liars, but they're not, not if they're good. Yeah. Not if they're good. If they're good, they're telling the truth, right? So Planet of the Apes, a movie I love, the original 1968, Rod Serling, Planet of the Apes, uh, and Michael Wilson also uh, co-wrote that. Um, those guys were good writers, and and that story talks about the self-destructive nature of human beings. And you can't say that isn't true. I mean, the yeah. fear at that time was um, more of a nuclear threat. Well, right? the good news is that's coming back, Brian. Oh, good. Oh, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> the 60s are coming back in all kinds uh, of ways. Yeah, uh -huh. But, um, oh, yeah, so, geez. yeah, so, but, right, that was the bigger, that was in our right? minds at that yeah. moment, right, uh, because of the Cold War and everything. Yeah. But now we're looking at, climate change and we're yep. doing all these things. So there's still this idea of the self-destructive nature of human beings. Yeah. Right. And so that is true. Yep. That's not a lie. That's not made up. That's not, that is true. That's why it has resonance. That's why they keep trying to remake that movie or, yeah. you know, they keep, they won't let it go because it had resonance. It worked. And so people think, well, it's the talking monkeys that made it work. It's like it's not. No, that's not yeah. what did it. It was the it was telling the truth about something that's that right. mattered. And even the ending, everybody talks about the ending. That mm -hmm. wasn't a twist ending. No, it's not a twist ending. It's an ending. It that, was the right ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I mean? well, it proves the thesis. Yep. Yeah. And how could you have another ending? Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. Like yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I mean, he was special, obviously, right? Like, I don't know. If, I mean, look, you, you're not going to find a bigger Rod Serling fan than me, right? You can go laterally. Maybe there's people who are as big, but a fan. But I don't know if you'll find a bigger yeah. fan than I am. I'm not sure he was special. Hmm. I, I what I mean by that is that I mean there was a Patichewski's of that same generation, yeah, right. Um, I'm telling you, man, Gene I read that script, too. I watched the movie twice a couple weeks ago in the same week, and then I read the script. It's bonkers. Which script? The Network. Network. Oh, yeah, for Patty Chef. Yeah. 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 So, Patty Chefsky's of that same generation. Yeah. Um, uh, Gene Roddenberry's of that yeah. same generation. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of people. Reginald Rose, who mm. did 12 Angry Men, yeah. is in that generation, right? 12 Angry Men is very much like a rod Serling, like in terms of having something real to say right right and star trek at its best always had something real to say yeah and so uh i think i i was able to i asked i asked uh my friend Stuart stern who wrote rebel that rebel without a cause about it one time and i said why i said something happened um in the 70s there was a sort of social consciousness in movies and he said, oh, he goes, I just think it was part of a continuum. It was part of what started happening. Um, it just kept, we kept getting more and more, um, we felt more and more responsible 
Interesting. That's an interesting word. Yeah. I don't know if that's exactly the way you put yeah. it, but that's the way I kind of remember yeah. it. Uh, and and I think that something happened to a lot of the creators after World War II. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, there's something, I don't know, I don't know if anybody's ever studied it, but there there's a huge burst of crazy creativity after Didn't that Didn't you war. say Rod Serling came back and said that he had he felt like debt or something like, I thought I remember you saying something that like he, somebody died or something like that over there. And then he said something like when he came back that he had like, not a debt, but like that he had a responsibility to do, to write a certain way or something like oh, that. Oh, I don't remember if I, I might don't. not have been Rod, but it was that generation. I thought it was Rod, but I, I just thought it was interesting that he saw his writing as something, whoever that was, whether it was Rod Serling or somebody else, but that they saw even their job as something bigger than just putting words on paper. Oh yeah. Right. I, th- I think they felt a real responsibility to have something to say that, that they had seen uh, in World War II, yeah. some pretty bad aspects of humanity. Right, and I think came back with some convictions, and um, those things mattered. And so when um, the Hollywood blacklist, when the when the they were trying to blacklist writers for being communists, um, a lot of those writers fought back because they felt like they had a responsibility to do that. And there's a reason that those people were attacked; those storytellers were attacked, right? Because storytellers are important, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and so it's like attack the storytellers, go after the storytellers. Yep. Right. Um, yeah. Even yeah. More, uh, more so true storytellers, are the most dangerous people. Oh, the, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's nothing more powerful than the truth and there's nothing more attractive than conviction. So when you pair that with a storyteller, they're unstoppable. Yeah. You just can't really do much with those people. No, right. You, you they're can't. flexible. <laughs> they yeah. just, they're making fire. Right. right. And they you, believe yeah. if they believe what they say. Yeah then you're going to have a hard time taking them down, (laughs) right, if they believe what they say. Classically, we kill people like that. Yeah, right. but then guess what? You can't kill their ideas, so it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? If they they have told good stories, the stories outlive them anyway. Right. No, we say that over and over again. Yeah. You mentioned truth. When you're talking about truth, and I was going back to your original thing about that TV show, um, the problem with the, what is it, dark you know, cynical. cynical. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is it's not true. No, right? but I think it feels true that people feel that way. Yeah, but the, the issue is this. As a species, if we all buy into that, it's over. Right. And the only reason there's zero benefit to the rest of us if we all just do that. Yeah. Because we're just going to accept whatever bullshit we're handed. Mm-hmm. Right? And go, I guess this is it. Right. 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 Um, Amused to Death is a great book if people haven't read it. Right. Uh, it's like if as long as you can keep people distracted, mm-hmm. they don't realize. Um, well, I don't want to get into like crazy stuff, but like it's bread and circuses. Right. That's, that's what... exi- bread and circuses. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to explain what that means in case people don't know Roman? Uh... Well, the Romans, <laughs> the Romans, you know, were very smart about controlling large populations. So they made sure uh, they were fed and they yep. made sure they were entertained. Yep. And you can do what you want if you feed people and entertain them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to something we said in a, a past episode, um, stories and entertainment are not the same thing. No, they are not. Stories it might are... be entertaining to watch somebody get their guts ripped out by a line. Right. That's not a story. <laughs> it's not a story. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not. They're, stories are not. Entertainment is the wrong way to think of story. It's a. It's a. It's a weird category to put stories yeah. in. Because entertainment means to distract. Right. 
And some of the best That's stories. That's not the definition of a story. No. Some of the best stories are the more important stories, the most important stories, telling a story about the Holocaust or something. Yeah. Right. I hope that's not entertaining right. for you. Right. Yeah. But it has value. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I think that we need to think about what, how we think about value. Hmm. Right? Help me understand that. Well, I think we talked about it once before, but money's not the only thing. That's right. valuable, right? That's right. So we have to think about what, what's the other value? What's, so if you're telling a story only to make money, well, you're going to make, I think, poor decisions. Yeah. Right? You're going to make sure that you have this kind of ending and not that one, and that yeah. you have these kinds of characters and not those or whatever. Not doing what the story needs, not telling the truth. Yeah. Right? And if you're not telling the truth, then you're not really providing any value. You may be making money, but you're not providing any value or putting right. anything good in the world. You know, um, and what happens when we all do that? I think, I think, um, I think societies can deteriorate without good stories. I think there's a kind of um, because I think it's so natural that we tell stories, and we know we used to know why we did it, mm-hmm. and I think money has confused that issue. Well, we're, we're you're breathing polluted air. Right. And so there's a certain point where if all the air is polluted, right, right it's yes. going to affect your body. Yeah. And so if we've forgotten the point, I'm sorry, what was the title of the the storyteller? The gear, gear, um, Zagir, uh, was the title for the storyteller that was buried in the tree? The Oh, the, oh, uh, Griots? Griots. Like, they knew what their job was and they're, right? Yeah. And it wasn't to entertain people. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, um, it was to help all those people get through. Uh, you know, it's funny, like we've talked about in the past where it's like, you know, storytellers have similar jobs as uh, priests or shaman. Oh, or yeah. All sorts of different things throughout time, which is like people are stuck and you help them get unstuck. And yeah. that's why if you think about your favorite movie, more than likely your favorite movie is survival information that you keep needing to hear over and over again because mm-hmm. you feel stuck. Right. Right. I've had I've had friends tell me things like their favorite movie was I've, had, I've gotten everything from Brokeback Mountain. Right. Mm-hmm. And knowing the person, I can see why that was so significant to them. Sure. That's really awesome. I've heard people say Zootopia. Right. Is is the Shawshank Redemption. And right. it's like, oh, these are all just the survival information that we have to keep. Whenever I'm starting to feel like I should deny who I am or whenever I'm feeling like I can't be what I, I, I know I could be or whatever. Right. They go back to the well mm-hmm. because they need help. And we all get stuck and we need help. Right. right. And that's what the stories are there to help us do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a healing thing. That's why we say stories are either poison or medicine. Right. Um, but going back to the truth thing where we said like, well, the problem is, is that if everything is dark and cynical, right? A, that's easy. Cynical is always easy. It is easy. Right? Um, it's way harder to risk being emotional or sentimental. You've talked about this before with Spielberg, where that's why you think Spielberg gets lots of rocks thrown at him. Yeah, I think so. I think he gets rocks thrown at him because he risks, he risks trying to move people. And then we decide... Oh, well, you're just trying to move people, you know, um, like it's easy, like it's easy. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard people say that they don't think he's very smart. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. Um, and and oh my God. One I heard recently was, oh, I get the sense he's never read a book, which is fascinating to me because they're misunderstanding what his job is. Right. The job of a storyteller 
is not to tap into intellect. Yeah. It's to tap into emotions. Right. Right. Um, certainly drama. It's really true of drama. Like you can maybe make a case for other kinds of stories, but for drama, for uh, the way the Greeks designed it, they yeah. designed it to be emotional. Yeah. To move people, to change them, to heal them through the emotions that yeah. they felt and experienced. I still remember when I was a little kid and my mom took me to see Awakenings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like burned in my memory. Yeah. As a little kid. Yeah. Because I was probably about the age of the... Um, oh, the kid. The kid at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. Right? I remember in the theater going like, it wrecked me as a kid. Right? Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. You know how long it's been since I've gone to a movie and just been wrecked? And I mean, and I think that's a good thing. I, it is right. You laugh. They hit you at the end, right? Yeah. And and you cry. You walk out and you go like, I feel better. Like yeah. You know, you walk away full, right? Yeah. Awakenings is a crazy movie, man. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it forever, but it's, I just remember it really being impacted. It's by really, it. real, really well written movie, right? Yeah. Um, but again, they weren't. You know, that was um. That's what's her name? That's Penny Marshall, right? Penny Marshall directed. Yeah. Um, she obviously wasn't scared about going for emotion. No, she wasn't. League of Their Own, yeah. she did that. Right, yeah. Right? No, she wasn't afraid of it, but uh, but we're afraid of it as a society. We think it's much, it's much safer to be a smart person, right? It's much safer to... To be cynical. To be cynical yeah. and to quote the right books and to uh, do something ambiguous and open-ended and... Yeah. Right? And muddy, you know. Um, that Smart people do that. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and we, we put a lot of stock and smart what yeah. we think of as smart right and not much in emotion and that's a problem i think but if you want to change people you don't appeal to the intellect you connect with them emotionally and it's funny in because true ways right it, yeah because that's coming around studies are showing that now <laughs> sure now right? everything we know about the brain says that that's, that's yeah. yeah like oh tell them a story it seems to be you know it's like <laughs> uh-huh. yeah everybody's known yeah. this yeah. for centuries yeah but go ahead yeah Science, enjoy yourself. Yeah, Knock yeah. yourself out. It's the right. same, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we know that it's true. We know that you can't change people's minds with data. Yep, we know that. Yep. Yeah. So get yeah. better at telling stories. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how long – I was talking to um, one of the folks that did the truth campaign, right? And I was trying to figure out, like, oh, you know, the anti-smoking campaign. It was like, yeah, they do. they're like, yeah, the data, nobody was moving them. We had to figure out how to dramatize it. And yeah. so they did all the body bags in front of the oh, sure. and stuff like that. And they were like, the, we already knew that the data wasn't going to do anything. Right. We had to connect it back to, you know, uh, a woman with a tracheotomy explaining like, you know, I started, like, right. Like they had yeah. to dramatize it. They had to make it real and emotional for people before they even had a chance to start affecting. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you look at now, like smoking, what's happening with younger folks is like, it's work. It takes a long time. Right. Right. Um, but that was a big thing. It's like, yeah, we tell people data. And it's like, yeah, inside of the box, it says it kills you. It's like, okay. Yeah. Not me. Whatever. Right. right? And so, like, we know that data doesn't work. Right. And we know that just the way our brains work is we make um, emotional decisions based on emotion. We justify it with logic. Right. Mm-hmm. We know that. Um, and so you go like, okay, well, again, going back to affecting change in this world. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, whatever that means for you. Animal right. cruelty. Whatever the thing is. Yeah. Um, when you understand the power of this stuff, because here's the thing, if you don't have time for this, other people do have time for this. That's true. Right. Just today, um, we were going over a, not to freak people out, um, 
this uh, the guy who used to, he used to run the CIA and he was talking to one of the leading um, guy from Chicago University, uh, one of the leading like minds about how uh, terrorist groups work, right? Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how ISIS is using um, uh, story structure, right? They're employing story structure specifically. Um, what was it? The hero? What was the formula they were using? They were using uh, Chris Vogler's Chris Vogler stuff, right? Right, which is Joseph Campbell's stuff. Which is Joseph Campbell's stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they pretty much how they they found that how much more effective it was to use the tactics of pretty much the hero's journey, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to all these other tactics they used. And I go, it's always funny to me that it's like, well, they understand the power of story, right? Right, and mm-hmm. we don't, right? Right. Um, and by the way, like if you look at, they went statistically where the, where all the, um, you know, folks are doing the most damage now, and it's all these recruits from America, mm-hmm. right? And they know exactly what they're doing, and they're targeting specific types of folks, right? Mm-hmm. Usually not affiliated at all with the the Muslim faith, right? Mm-hmm. And they are telling these really kind of compelling heroic stories, and putting uh, folks at the center of these stories. And you go like, man, that was the same st- same stuff that Goebbels was doing. That yeah. was the same stuff. So if you don't it was, it was Lenin or Stalin. It was one of those guys who were talking about how movies are the single greatest, like um, most effective, like tool for controlling um, human beings ever invented or something like sure. that. Sure. And it's like all these folks get this stuff, right? But yet we look around the world and we see broken things we want to change, and we go like, eh. yeah, yeah, well, I got time for story structure, or I don't, I don't, you know, right? And it's like, man, if you get it. Yeah. You're so powerful. Well, it's like when Frank Capra saw Triumph of the Will. Yep. What, right? He saw Triumph of the Will, the Nazi propaganda yeah. film made by Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah. And he saw it and he said, oh, they're going to win. That's exactly right. And if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Yeah. Because she was no joke. No, she wasn't. Fantastic filmmaker, unfortunately. Worked for the Nazis. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Using it for evil. Again, right. like you can use all these things we're talking about to do really awful stuff. Hopefully the people that are listening are going to use it to try to affect some change. I just, I just, I was hoping we could talk about this, right? Because I don't want, I think sometimes we take for granted, um, cause we think about and talk about this stuff all the time, yeah. how powerful this stuff is, mm-hmm. right. And how important it is in actually, hopefully being more like a, again, Grio, mm-hmm. right. In the world we're in and like, helping people in some way or another. Sure. I also think you could do that and still have a comfortable life and all these other things. Oh, yeah. We're not, saying <laughs> right yeah morality or poverty or that we're saying like yeah. yeah but just understand what you're wielding and the power of it you're not running out around with a stick you're running around with a very powerful weapon yeah right yeah other people understand this boy if we understood this and we started practicing this imagine the change that could happen when you have people that tell a better story right yeah um than the folks that are in power now yeah that's our point right. that's the point we're trying to make yeah Right. Don't just entertain people. Tell a story. Yeah. Right. Because you're not an entertainer. You're a storyteller. And yeah. there's a difference. Yeah. You're not distracting people, which is what entertainers do. Right. Yeah. You're helping people survive. Right. Right. Yeah. And once you understand the difference, man, it changes everything. It does change everything. And it's also good news because yeah. now your writing matters. Right. Right. Because um, you're right. I'm not even talking about politics. I'm talking about life. Right. right. And that's why I'm trying to not talk about specific politics. I'm trying to say, like, the world can be better. Right. There's something you have to say that will actually help somebody. Mm-hmm. That's great. What's cool about that is, well, 
100 people read my book. It was the right 100 people, though. You can feel good about that. Right. It wasn't a failure. Right. 100 million people went and saw this movie, right? It was a bunch of explosions and shit, and I i don't even want my name on it. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I would take the... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like, I also get... Like, I also get... You got to make money and stuff, but it's just like, isn't it nice to know that your work can live on? Isn't it nice to know that it can have an impact on other people? Remember, if you look at it more like, we're all the same. Yeah. It's one big tribe of human beings, this species, right? Don't you want to do something that's genuinely helpful yeah right again you can tell the truth and make money yeah you don't have and, to pick a lane and in my experience by the way there are, people say plenty of they they say this oh good stories there are plenty of good stories that don't make any money and then i see the story they're talking about i was like that's not a good story but okay <laughs> it's like no there's a reason that didn't make money but having said that there are things that didn't make money right away mm-hmm. right the wizard of oz yeah, it's a wonderful life it's a wonderful life yeah. but they find an audience and they Shawshank. become classics right yeah. Shawshank redemption right so if you make something of quality even if it doesn't hit right away yeah if you've really done something and you've really spoken to people and you've really told the truth it'll find an audience van gogh i mean yeah. there's so many stories right? yeah. yeah yeah it'll find an audience all you have to do is tell the truth you, you don't worry about what's happening you know opening weekend whatever yeah, right. that looks like people spend way too much time thinking about their competition yeah they do just tell a like, good story. Whether it's on the marketing side, which is more my background, right? Yeah. It always shocks me how often people are worried about their competitions. Like, hey, man, like if you don't have any of your own conviction, you have to borrow somebody else's. And that's why you're constantly going, what's my competition doing? Who does everybody want me to be? And it's like, <laughs> right. just do your thing and do it better than anyone else. It's not yeah. wasting time thinking about box office or whoever. That's the trick. Right. Because you're going to psych yourself out. Mm-hmm. Just do your thing and do it better than anybody else. What's the survival information? You as a human being, the no bullshit survival information, you as a human being to has have to contribute. You probably learned it the hard way, so don't waste the pain. Right. Turn that pain into something that is, is just wonderful. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think you might be surprised at what happens. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's more complicated than that. I don't think – I think – yeah. I think it's it's – like a lot of things that are simple, it's difficult to do, mm-hmm. but it's simple in principle. Yep. Um, and it's an easy map to follow, right? Just uh, teach people how to survive. Yep. Tell them what you know about how to survive. It starts with, you're a storyteller. Yep. Right? And that's why we call it this. And I promise next week we'll get back to the more brass tack side. Right? Um, yeah, cool. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Next time on You Are a Storyteller. Because if you're a storyteller, then your job is to be in service of that story. Yeah. That's your job. Right? And if you do it well, you get out of the way. Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. If you have any questions or there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at believeagency.com.